Welcome back to another episode of the Disrupt Ed Podcast. This is a recording from our CEO distance learning series. We have Rebecca Longo on. She is an esports marketer. She helps professional athletes build their brands. She is based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she was kind enough to join us. You're going to find this one really interesting and make sure to stay tuned until the end when students sort of digest what they heard after she said goodbye. Rebecca, so what do you do? What do I do? Um, Well, I own a consultancy firm called Happy Warrior. And within that, I work with um, a few different um, entities. I'm an investment advisor for three global uh, venture capitalist funds, one out of the UK, one in Vancouver, Canada, and then one here in the US. And all three of them are very niche investors. They invest in sports technology, um, esports, and media companies, and really focused on um, infrastructure within those spaces. So sports technology, um, think about when you used to use paper tickets every single time you went to a Timberwolves game, and now you use a flash seat app. Those are the types of startups and ideas that we see very early on as early stage investors. Um, and, and then we help bring, um, subject matter experts from all over the world in sports and technology to help guide them and grow, um, their, their platforms out and make strategic connections. Um, so that's one, one side of work that I do. I also work with a number of professional athletes on their personal brand and, um, helping them really navigate their future careers. Um, my goal with that, after working in, in pro sports for so many years, I mean, my career is really centered around sports, technology, finance, and advertising. So my goal with, with athletes is while they're viable, while they're still um, able to make strategic connections, help them think about a future that they would like to see for themselves when they are no longer playing because athletes don't really retire. Very, very few of them retire. They either injure out or they're not re-signed. And once they're, once they're not playing anymore, it's really hard for them to have anybody even pick up the phone. So in the business of basketball, these guys um, and girls are constantly around C-suite executives that sponsor teams. So I help them navigate um, professionally. How do they have conversations with these people, maybe getting their business card, following up um, via email, just really simple life skills that they've missed out after graduating college on some of that entry-level type business acumen that um, all of us gain first couple years out of school, and allow them to build relationships long-term without expecting money so that when they are done, they can reach back out to those business professionals and maybe shadow them or do an internship, even get a career um, within an industry that they that they came to to know and understand while they were still playing. It's another so that's another little aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I work with a number of startups as um, board of advisors. So I work with startups within esports and sports technology, and I help them 
really navigate um, going from an investment strategy to a go-to-market strategy. And then the other business that I have is an advertising agency that's specific to esports, and that's called Halong, um, H-A-L-O-N-G dot G-G, if anybody wants to take a peek at that. So my business partner and I, we're really focused on then activating those go-to-market strategies for our clients. And I work with, you know, athletes in that space as well. I just had a call with an agent this morning who reps a wild hockey player that's interested in streaming, he's playing video games anyways. Um, so he wants to really grow an audience and see if there's a way for him to have marked revenue within that space. Um, I work with the Minnesota Rocker, our local Call of Duty team. Right now I'm helping them plan out um, a tournament that will be this Saturday night. Um, and, and then I work with a lot of, of startups on branding, naming, marketing, design, those types of things. So that's a super long answer of what do I do? <laughs> well, that, that my next question is, how do you keep that straight? Um, well, you? it's this gift I was born with called ADHD. So okay. Got it. I'm just very naturally able to weave from one, one thing to another. Um, I like write, I like putting things on paper. So I have a lot of checklists, lots of notes. Um, I'm smart. So, um, it's, it's just trying to stay organized, I think is probably my biggest struggle, uh, cause it's, it's constant. It's kind of constant. Right. What, uh, what kind of a high school student were you? You say you like had a lot, it's, you had the gift of ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, what was that experience like for you? Um, high school for me. So I did all the things also Got in it. high school right I was all the things I was my high school mascot I was a cheerleader for two sports um you know I was I was in all the little clubs choir um the competition local choir group uh took like four years of Spanish I w I just loved to be plugged in to school school was really um a, a safe place for me I didn't have a really great childhood I didn't have a a very um uh, loving home life. So for me, I wanted to get to school as soon as I could be there and want to join whatever I could just because it was a place where I felt like I could excel and people were um, embracing me and, and it was it was a really great, um, great space for me to be in. As a student, I mean, I think learning, I love, I'm a lover of learning. I've always been a lover of learning. I found school sometimes to be quite boring. Um, and I was the kid who did a lot of wall sits because very antsy. <laughs> okay. But I also did very well. Like I had wonderful, I mean, I had great grades, but I was a total disruptor. And I have a 13-year-old son who's very similar to me. He's very disruptive, but also really smart. So, so I get him. Like I'm like, I see right through you because I was you. But um, yeah, I would say, you know, my I had definitely had like the senior – what do they call that? Senior slump. Senioritis. I just, yeah, as soon as I got into college, as soon as I like signed that paperwork, I'm like, well, I don't really care anymore about school. I'll have yep. somebody else do my homework. But um, yeah, I don't know. I loved, I really loved school. Uh, it was a really great um, place for me to be. Some people are typically like they go to school and that's the place where they're guarded and then they go home to like let it all out and be themselves. You were sort of the opposite. I was kind of the opposite. Yeah. I had a yeah. home life where it was like you just tried to stay out of the fray. 
you know, just try yeah. to not be seen. So right. yeah, sad times. What was the, what was the post high school decision? Was that like made for you or was it something oh. that you, why did you make that post high school choice? Um, for, to go to the university, honestly, it was like my, uh, so I moved out of my, of my parents' home and I was, um, midway through my junior year of high school and went to stay with a friend of mine that we were cheerleaders together and we were in a lot of classes. Um, so I was really grateful to have had their guidance and like, you know, a really solid, um, representation of family. And they really encouraged me to, to go to school. And I was, I was feeling like it wasn't an option for me most of my life. I like grew up thinking there was no way that I'd be able to go to a university um, because we just didn't have the means to, to do that. My parents just, there's no way that would have happened for me for having their support. But what, um, what Jill's mom and dad were able to do for me was help me navigate the system so that I could take out loans and, um, and apply and they moved me into the dorms and um, I got accepted into, into three schools, but Jill and I both went to the U of M together and we shared a dorm together. It was almost like having a little, like a, a sister, you know, we kind of navigated that space together. It was really overwhelming and, and honestly, in retrospect, I probably should have went to a smaller school. It was just extremely, the U of M was so overwhelming for me. Um, and, um, it wasn't like, it wasn't, I grew up in, went to high school in Elk River and grew up with the same kids from kindergarten all the way through. And college was really, really overwhelming for me. It was just tough. Well, to it's a, just the geography of the campus is humongous. And then the number of people and, mm -hmm. and I really didn't know what I wanted to do at all. I was kind of directionless. I just took generals classes and then I signed up, I like registered for my sophomore year and um, very late summer, early fall, my dad started getting um, sick. He was a, not only a Vietnam veteran, but a Gulf War veteran. He had a lot of, um, a lot of issues. A lot of our family issues were because my dad was a, a war veteran and had really severe PTSD, but he ended up getting brain cancer. And um, once my parents, um, long-term disability once his long-term disability ran out I had to just leave school and go work full-time so I don't have a college degree um I I was really blessed in timing of leaving school because I was able to kind of ride this digital wave this this flux of um of the internet boom um, this was post internet crash. There was like a big internet boom and then there was a crash and then there was like the resurgent, the normalization of it. So we're like 2000 or like 98. Yeah. 2000, okay. um, really was able to, so I, I took an entry level job with an advertising agency and I was like a, a coordinator, uh, a print production coordinator, like literally routing layouts and updating schedules and doing all these things. And what had happened was our largest client was FedEx. And my project that I was working on was FedEx's sponsorship of the NFL and um, it was the NFL Pro Bowl and kart racing, which is, it's like, it's, it's like NASCAR go-karts. They're really right. cool. Last. So we were doing everything 
to um, the entire program is to in, to get people to increase their shipping. You send, we were sending like these letters to office managers at large buildings, having them, if they chose FedEx over UPS and they increased their shipping by different thresholds, they would win trinkets and trash <laughs> basically. Okay. And an opportunity to like go to the Pro Bowl. So we would track all of that, track their shipping, track how much, you know, we were like, um, over that, over each period, we were um, bringing in about an additional seven or eight million dollars in revenue for FedEx. So it was a great program. Um, so with the digital wave, what happened was FedEx was like, we have these email addresses. Can we do a, we should do something on the internet, in the interwebs, like, <laughs> like a sitelet. So we did A-B testing and we did a, a sample group and um, shot them over an email and we did everything digital and that was pretty cool. Then- Which was novel and not everyone believed nobody it. Nobody was doing it. I mean, no, yeah. we had to hire freelance um, designers and developers that understood, we called it interactive, <clears throat> by the way. <laughs> Got it. And then they decided we should have an interactive department and they hired this senior producer who had been working in advertising for 20 some years. And she came in and she cried every single day. She just couldn't do it. And I was, at this time, I was 22 years old and they made me the head of their interactive department at this agency. So I had over 20 people reporting to me at 22 years old, running an entire digital division of an agency, um, which was uh, awesome. Like it just, it wasn't that overwhelming to me. Um, I grew up obviously like without my entire childhood and even college without cell phones. Like nobody really had those unless your parents were like Miami Vice. But um, then all of a sudden it was just getting to be an adult and now you're, you know, on AOL and um, getting your, your Yahoo address and getting a, a cell phone and, a, you know, those really cool flip phones. So, um, yeah, I, that was a really cool opportunity for me and then left to work for a startup, which is where all my startup uh, experience comes from. A startup, all digital agency, people thought we were crazy, called Space 150. And Space 150 now is one of the largest advertising agencies in Minnesota. Uh, they do multi-millions dollars in revenue. They're in New York. They're in um, L.A., so, um, yeah, literally worked on folding chairs in a basement of a warehouse for about a year before we were able to get like proper office space. But that's yeah. the grind kids of startup life. <laughs> right. And it's, it's, there's something kind of fun with that when you're building something and you are part of a small team and you get a chance, like the decisions you make affect the entire organization. Yeah, it is. It's really fun. It is fun to build stuff. And I'll say another thing about growing up and being like a kid in school, when you get divided into these groups and these group projects, I was always the project manager. Like I can look back now and see some of my biggest strengths as a professional were the things that I gravitated towards even in like fourth and fifth grade. So I think it's important to really understand um, the correlation between what drives you when you're young and being able to maximize that as you grow into adulthood in order to be authentic and, and truly true to yourself. I think I, I joke that I'm unemployable and it's 
you know, it's maybe because I swear too much, but also <laughs> I, um, I, like to. <laughs> I want a seat at the decision making table. I have value. I know that my ideas matter and I don't feel like in a business sense, you should have to ask permission to share valuable insight that moves the needle forward in business. And I've worked within organizations that are like that. And it's, I think it's a, such a disservice and it usually comes from people in power um, making decisions out of fear and keeping people um, yeah, keeping people down because they don't want to be um, out, outshined. So, right. so I kind of have a question about you broke from what we would call, not that I am a proponent of this, but you broke from the traditional path because of a sickness to your dad. What, what, would, what do you think would have happened if he, he had not gotten sick? Um, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I feel like I'm just exactly where I need to be. Would I have been able to be in the same position if, if life would have treated me differently. I also had a, my, my daughter when I was 22 years old. So that was huge, um, a, a huge shape in my life because it wasn't just about what I wanted to do. It was about ensuring that I was um, creating a life for her too. And, and that was hard when all your friends are like partying and having a really great time and you're like, home taking care of a little one and working full time. Um, you're kind of a fun killer, but um, yeah. So, I mean, I think both of those things really did shape a, a lot of my, um, my life. It also makes you poor. We don't have kids till you're like 40. Okay guys. Um, it is. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy because it's expensive. Having kids, it's expensive. They're just money eaters. Um, so mm -hmm. Like you faced a lot of adversity, even up into your mid twenties with, you know, being a parent, especially, and I, I don't know if you were a single parent or if you were doing it together, but it's an, it's a time full of adversity when you got a young kid and you're trying to build a career, like it is crazy. And so do you think that had you not had that diversity that you would have like the drive or the energy? I mean, but when we hear all these stories, so often like people's success comes from their like being able to get through diversity and they get like this perspective and drive from it. Mm -hmm. Is that true for you? Yeah, I'd say my biggest strength is grit. You know, my fearlessness comes from a sense of loss. And when you've really had profound loss, you know, look like after my dad died, I had this profound sense of, of loss. But also what I realized um, was that my dad was a really unhappy person and he hated his job. And he was, he was pretty fun on weekends. You know, like a lot of my fun memories of my dad were like hunting and fishing and going camping and hiking and on this wilderness outdoors mini part of my dad. And I'm, I'm really grateful to have had that. But I think it created, it stirred in me this fearlessness because I didn't want to be somebody who lived two days a week. I really wanted to be somebody who lived fully. And the way that you live your life out with your career is so instrumental. And I don't think that is 
impressed upon us enough as we're growing up. I think we hear the curmudgeon, you know, how was your day long and tiring? Like that was my dad, you know, getting a paycheck just for bills, go to work, work, work. Um, I absolutely every single day wake up excited for what I get to do. And I love my job and I feel really full. And I think that allows me to be a really great um, parent and it allows me to be a really good friend. Most of my friends are also in business and we have like a lot of business that we, we share back and forth and we talk about really cool, compelling ideas and I don't have room in my life for toxic people anymore at all. Like I don't need, I don't, you can choose, you know, you, you can choose and there's always such an, an important set upon choosing positive people around you, but you also need to choose, um, a life, a career that makes you feel good also. Um, and that's, that's not an easy task. I think you also have to do the hard work up front and quietly build. Um, one thing about being an entrepreneur for me was quietly building and kind of creating ideas in this arsenal in my back pocket before kind of taking that scary leap of being a hundred percent on my own. Um, because you can't, you can't just assume you're going to know it all. Um, and, and just kind of, you know, fake your way through it. I mean, you need to have some real marked skills and my time working in advertising definitely helped me, um, gain a really strong sense of business acumen that I've been able to apply now. Um, the other thing that I think is important is, um, having a really strong network. And that has been something that I didn't have growing up. Um, we, my parents both were very blue collar and, um, so we didn't have the opportunity to, you know, I never was around, um, successful, right. Business people as a child at all. Um, I was around a lot of laborers, which is also a really great career choice. If somebody wants to do that, so that I'm not saying there's anything negative about it, but getting into business, um, was really it's really difficult. You have to be intentional about building a network and, and being intentional about reaching back out to people that you've met and thanking them and sending them an email or sending them a nice handwritten note. All of those things literally do help because my arsenal that I have is my network. I'm extremely, I'm extremely plugged in um, with a lot of successful people all around the world um, I can, I'm like one away from everybody, I feel like. So it's, um, it's really important that you are, especially if you're thinking about having a business or being a business owner, that you are fostering relationships and that you are a really good human being, really good, you know, and I give a lot away. I give more away than I, than I, than I monetize on. Right. But, um, everything I believe comes back. Can you talk about maybe like a real granular way, how you nurture that network? Because it's not just, I get their card when I need something from you, I'll call you. How do you kind of nurture those, you know, those people, even if you're not in a working relationship currently? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I probably do 10 calls a week with people I've never met before. Um, Wow. It's really about sharing a little bit about my story, hearing their story, t 
talking about what their goals and objectives are, how can I make strategic connections for them. The best way to build a network is to connect people and help them solve their problems. I mean, um, one of my friends said, like, I'm a professional fairy godmother. <laughs> but um, I have an innate sense, too, and, and 21 years of experience in, in working. So there's that, right, that can help inform. I'm really good at kind of taking a look at a problem, deconstructing it into actionable steps, and, and moving that forward, right? So a lot of times when I'm having a conversation with somebody, maybe I've only talked to them for 20 minutes and they're, they're presenting some type of a, an issue that they're having or a work thing, I do spend a lot of time talking to college students on future career planning and helping them really understand if they want to get into advertising, what's really a best role for them based on even their personality, right? So being able to have conversations with people identifying how can you how can you help them sometimes you can't but a lot of times you can you're like oh I know somebody that I should connect you with and then putting that into practice actually taking the time to do a strategic connection an email and what's happened for me is now there's been opportunities where that will turn into business for somebody else and then they'll pay me like real money I, I <laughs> Choice Bank out of Fargo, North Dakota. They bought a bank in Minnesota, and um, I had a I had a conversation with them just about like their branding and their marketing, and they were telling me they really wanted a brand ambassador, and they were thinking about Josh Jamal and whatever. And I was like, hmm, Josh Jamal is going through a divorce, and like he's kind of a mess. And then they were saying, you know, Stefan Diggs had just had like that big play, that big catch, but. Stefan, you don't, that's not a long-term play and he doesn't meet their values. You know, you have to really think about the values. So we took a look at the values of the bank and then I suggested Adam Thielen would be a really good character fit for them. Family man, faith, family, love, really good guy and engaging business minded, local, local also, you know, like a, a, a North Dakota, Minnesota type of a kid. Um, went to Mankato, just makes perfect sense and 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 homegrown and built from the bottom from the ground up. So the values really matched. Um, so they did a partnership. Well then like Adam Thielen's agent called me and thanked me, you know, really appreciate it. We're gonna do this deal. Will you send us an invoice for X amount? And then I was like, dang, yeah. I'm gonna start making those asks up front, you know? And I have just been it's been cool, you know, like that's what that's what a lot of years in an industry kind of can help bring to fruition. But um, yeah, I think you do the right thing continually and you will reap benefits from that. And sometimes it's not a check. Sometimes it's just, you know, knowing that you helped somebody, knowing that you helped place somebody in, in a career that they love or helping them, you know, make a connection in, in business that you don't need anything. I don't need anything in return. I do like it when I get something back, but I don't need anything in return. You're putting good out into the world and you're creating like your own little brand ambassador that goes out there and talks good about you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I will have people reach out and say, so-and-so said, I have to connect with you, which is cool. You know, right. I, mean, I don't think I'm an expert at anything um, at, at all. I think I'm more of a conduit in a lot of areas. Um, I have experience that I use to inform kind of some, some strategy, but I would never, 
um, pretend to be an expert in like one key thing. And a lot of people are like, oh, she's an esports expert. I'm like, there's no way. Like esports is huge. It's it's too complex that nobody's really an expert in that, you know. And the sun is just rising in that industry too. It's it's an insane industry. It's been really exciting to be a part of it in just the small ways that I am. Um, it's really kind of right now, it's the only pro sport that's active. Right. So, so you have quite the list of experience here under your job titles on LinkedIn. So <laughs> I'll let you, I'll let you like cherry pick from the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, um, North Rock Partners, uh, electric advertising. Like I'll let you kind of maybe cherry pick, maybe some lessons you, you, or some value you gained maybe for your career or for yourself from those places um, as we kind of work towards what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, well, the Timberwolves is like the easy low hanging fruit, right? Um, when I was at Space 150, they were my client. Um, and then I left and lived in Florida for about a year and worked with Orlando Magic on just as a contractor, just on a project for Orlando Magic. And I worked on um, a couple other things while I was there. Um, so when I was at the Timberwolves, obviously I had an opportunity. My job there was really an interesting kind of a job. I was basically the, the glue between sales and marketing. So our CMO had his initiatives, our president and, and CEO had their initiatives on the sales side. How could I, um, and they all hate each other, by the way, sales and marketing, yeah. they always, they hate each other, but everyone loves me. So I was able to like take um, overarching goals and objectives from senior leadership and really help bring them to fruition. A lot of that was like the weirdest projects ever. So like flash seats, that was one of my projects. It was like, oh, this is new. So we should just throw it at Rebecca. Um, I also, um, so my title was like brand manager. Um, I do this a lot, by the way. Uh, so they were rebranding the office, like a $275,000 remodel, like painting and reconfiguring things. All of us like that landed in my lap. I'm like, this isn't, they're like, oh, brand. I'm like, this is a construction project, but okay. So, I mean, I got everything kind of thrown at me within that space. I managed, so interestingly in the NBA, um, Teams don't have their own photographers. The NBA owns the photographers and assigns them. So David Sherman, who's been a photographer for the Timberwolves for like 25 years, doesn't work for the Timberwolves. He works for the NBA, which creates a lot of layers of weird complexity. So for me, prior to working in-house at the Timberwolves, I was a freelancer for them for many years if the NBA had, say, um, they wanted to do a live shot for Ahmad Rashad's um, NBA show, right? Like NBA Insider, NBA Access, or whatever that Ahmad Rashad was doing, and there was a player on another team, like the Dallas Mavericks, that they wanted to interview, they couldn't use any of the Timberwolf staff, any of the broadcast crew or anybody to get that done because they were separated. So then they would hire me to come in and produce these things. So I had a really unique angle and access. When I joined the team as their brand manager, they put me in charge of all of that. So then I would have to hire an outside producer to do those types of activations within, within the arena. Um, but I oversaw our entire photography team. Um, I oversaw our basically anything that was creative. So 
I ensured there was continuity amongst every department that had any type of creative push. So social media, our broadcast team, our print team, our, um, our web a digital team, um, and our, um, our, you know, the photographers, the videographers, and the, and the um, in-game activation or game operations as they call it. So uh, a lot of oversight in making sure that everything was consistent, but huge access to players. I left the Timberwolves because um, it was getting to be a little too, too much gray area and I didn't want to get, I basically just didn't want to get fired from the team because I had so many athletes on the team um, and one of the WNBA players that really wanted me to help them on their personal brand and help them grow their social because that was kind of a new thing. Uh, I think like Twitter was like brand new when I was there. So we were getting players like Kevin Love tweeting things out and then they were literally creating NBA regulations around Kevin Love's tweets <laughs> because he announced that our coach was leaving before the team put a press release. Wow. So um, it was just a really disruptive time, like again, within my career, looking for what's next kind of opportunities, where's the world going. Um, and then I got a call from a production company, um, Larry King, who used to be on CNN, had just left CNN. He partnered with Carlos Slim, who's the richest man in Mexico. He's like a, a total crazy, owns like half of Mexico. Um, and they created a, a web-only television station called Aura TV. So I got a call from them wanting me to field produce a television show for their network here in Minnesota with Jesse Ventura, who used to be our governor. He's totally crazy guy. Um, so that was really my catapult out of like leaving the Timberwolves going, okay, I'm going to do this shoot for, you know, shoot every Monday for the next two years on this contract and then I'll have the flexibility to work with you know Ricky and Kevin who had just left and and Candace Wiggins and being able to really bring those guys on as clients and help them navigate like kind of what they're doing um, it was it was really just came down to opportunity and not being afraid to seize a kind of a scary new thing um, so that Obviously, like perfect positioning, working with a pro sports team gives you so much. Uh, everyone wants to talk about it. It's, Leverage. It's, yeah, it's exciting. I think, I mean, my ex-husband hated that I worked there because we'd go places and everyone wanted to talk to me about work. And <laughs> like, he hated it. So, um, yeah, really just capitalizing that. I think that's when I really started growing my LinkedIn. That's when I was super intentional on growing my LinkedIn network with other um, people that were on the business side of, of basketball and learning from them. And um, obviously with the role that I had at the Timberwolves, I half the time I had no, I was solving problems that no one's had to tackle before. So I would just reach out to other teams, people in positions at other teams and say, Hey, you guys are doing digital tickets. Like how, how am I going to navigate this? Who do I like, who can help me figure out a way to craft an internal message, an internal strategy. So my team internally adopts this um, in order to get our season ticket holders to buy in because it seems now like why would you not want 
um, your tickets on your phone. But trust me, it was a scary time. People were pissed. They were, they liked their paper tickets. They really, really didn't want to change. Um, sure. so telling them they couldn't have that. That was really a, a tough PR, um, thing to tackle as a team, which just seems bizarre, but people are very adverse to change in general. Sure. So let's, let, I want to kind of dig into the, the building of personal brands for the athletes. Um, when you approach a, like a potential client, how do you do that? Like what are the channels to get through? And then what's the pitch like? Um, I don't really pitch clients in that space. Okay. They usually come to me and I'm extremely picky about who I'm going to work with. Um, I have had to fire a few clients over the years um, because they're uh, hot messes and they don't stick to script. Um, they'll say things like off, off collar, very, you know, it's, it's tough. Or they don't respect my boundaries and I'll get like a call at two in the morning. And so um, I'm extremely picky. I, I don't go after working necessarily working with athletes it's kind of like okay. having a bunch of teenagers truly um they're messy i can relate yeah yeah they're really they're especially on football and basketball side hockey's a little different i think they're raised very differently a lot of hockey players hockey's an expensive sport right they need so family to pull it off you need more of an affluent or you know pretty affluent family to be able to play hockey your whole life and be really good at it so um, I, I will say that I'm able to really discern whether somebody would be a good fit for me to work for them or work with them uh, within about five minutes. I, can, I could call on, we call it media day in basketball. So media day is when um, there's like 30 different stations and all the different media outlets are stuck in one spot. And then the players are kind of shopped around from station to station to station. And then they get like a headshot or a quick little five minute interview. And then they move on to the next station. It's before players get their first check. It's before they go to sprint to summer training camp. So they haven't, they haven't actually made any money yet, but what they have is a signed contract. And what some players do is they will take that contract and they'll go into a bank and they'll use that as leverage to get a loan. And they're usually pretty high interest loans, 30, 40% interest loans of half a million to a million dollars so that they can show up playing the part of the athlete on, on me today. So I can, I can from, um, and North Rock is a wealth management firm that works with a lot of pro athletes. So I've Got seen it. It on that side too. Um, so I've been able to tell right away when rookies come through those doors, who would be somebody I would work with and who would not be a good fit, fit for me. Um, pride and attitude. You know, these are all guys that were literally treated like Kings their whole life and the best, they were the best in elementary school, the best in middle school, the best in high school, the best at their college and university. Now they're playing with other bests and some are willing to um, humble themselves and be a sixth man. You know, the Randy Foy's of the world are really able to have a long career as a sixth bench man versus like a Rashad McCants who came in dating one of the Kardashians, had a total chip on his shoulder, was late to practice all the time, thought he was better than everybody, was pissed he wasn't starting his rookie year and played for what, two seasons, lives in his parents' basement now and like tries to be some rapper. It's just, 
it comes down. It's true. It's a true story. Yeah, I um, love that story, by the way. Sonny Black. Sonny Black. Um, it's just nuts, honestly. And um, it comes can, down. To can I can I ask a question about that? So yeah. we're talking about the elite of the elite athletes in the world, mm -hmm. and whether they're going to be on the elite of the elite teams of the world. And character, you're saying, is a massive factor in whether they get to keep doing that. Yes. And I will tell you this, and this is what I tell my boys all the time, especially my basketball players that I talk to. Um, I will say, what's your, like, what's your job? And like, what, what do you, what's the answer? Like, what do you think the answer is guys? Kids for, for them or for the athletes? Yeah, for the kids. What, what, if you are, if you are, if you're a pro basketball player and it's your rookie year and somebody says, what's your job? What do you think they're, what do you think the job is? Let's hear some guesses. Am I going to have to call on people? These are high school kids. Come on. I what do you think? That he would be an influencer over anything. That's a good answer. That's a great answer, actually. Shayla says cheerleader. Cheerleader. That's a good answer. Anyone else? So what I get... Oh, go I ahead. A public figure or I don't know, kind of like an influencer, but like more of a big deal, I guess. I don't know. Right. Um, that's great. Because what I usually hear from athletes is to win games, right? Like that's in their mind. They're like, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to win a game. Um, but their job is really, I mean, it's finance. It's financial, right? Their jobs to sell tickets. What are they doing to help sell tickets? And you're right. It's through that being an influencer and being a cheerleader and um, being that person that everyone is um, looking at in the community, right? For them to build their brand, it's really important. I like to have them focus on four key areas. Um, obviously, the sport they play is one. So this is applicable to almost anybody, in the, like even for your own personal brands. So the thing you do mostly, whether it's you play a sport or um, your business, your job, and then it's what your hobbies are, what your own personal interests are. That's another pillar. Uh, your friends or your family, the people that, that you love, your inside circle, that's a pillar. And then for some people, it's um, their faith. Some it's community. Um, for some, those are both, but that falls into another bucket, right? Like purpose. What are you doing? What's, what's the purpose? And when you can balance those four things out, then you've got a pretty strong personal brand and you can stick to those four key narratives and you can choose how much you want to have people peek behind the curtain of your personal brand. But when you're an athlete and especially like a basketball, what I tell basketball players who are on the court is you are in a unique position. You're an entertainer. So you can, you can focus on being good. That's great. Like you wouldn't be there if you weren't good anyways. Right. But really what you need to do is create memorable moments, engage with fans, be willing to shake the hand of these corporate sponsors and make them feel special. When, when you're a corporate entity and you're spending a million dollars a year on tickets and sponsorship and, and there's not a single player who's going to shake your hand and you're a C-suite executive, what is the likelihood that you're going to renew those tickets? So it's, it's 
all, all of those things, if you can, if you can balance that out, um, you're going to have a much longer career than even some of the top performing athletes. So, you know, Tyler, I, I had talked about uh, the difference between a Randy Foy and, and uh, Rashad McCants. They came on right around the same time. It might have even been the same season. And Rashad McCants marked, like, literally had the more, more marked raw talent. He was a way better basketball player, truly, than a Randy Foy. But Randy Foy understood the business of basketball. And he was uh, almost like a second coach uh, at practice. He would stay late. He brought young guys under his wings. Uh, Mark Madsen is also a, a former player on the Timberwolves who really, really innately understood this. Being a servant leader in a place of power has uh, even greater power than coming in at this level and pushing people down below you or having this, uh, this, this air about you of, of conceitedness or, um, you know, like the posturing that so many people do in, in sports and in business. But if you can be a servant leader and really make everybody around you better, that was one thing I loved about working with Ricky Rubio because the culture of, of Spain and playing sports in Spain is very different than in the U.S. In the U.S., we push into our children at a very young age, um, how did you do? How many points did you score? Um, in Spain, it's it, Ricky's dad, um, Stephen would say, um, how did you guys do? Did you, did you make your team better? How did you make your team better? Which is why Ricky's phenomenal at assists. Um, and, and an assist is extremely valuable. Uh, it's worth like three points, you know, statistically. It's, it can be because you're, um, you're, you're allowing other people to score and you're moving the, you know, you're con continually moving that needle forward for your team. So, um, it really just comes down to literally looking at things holistically as a, in, as a complete system and, and understanding where, where you fit within that, within that system and what power and control that you have to help everybody around you be better and be greater. And I think at that, like basketball lessons and football lessons, like they're so applicable in so many key areas of life. Well, it's interesting because basically what you're, you're, if I'm hearing you right, is your level of talent does not necessarily have to determine your level of brand quality. And when I look at like Mark Madsen, certainly not the most talented person on the floor, might not even be in the top 25 between the two teams. Mm -hmm. um, like Tim Tebow is the same way. You're like certainly not the best football player out there in the NFL, but a massive brand. And you're trying to help them while they have the attention capitalize and build a good foundation so that they can have a return on investment in the future. And that is not that different, albeit with far less zeros kids. Sorry. Um, these kids are like kind of in the spotlight in their communities, meeting all these business people. They have a lot of attention or potential attention. And are they telling their story in a positive way? Um, because if they shake the right hands and are, are a good person and they're, seen mm -hmm. um, 10 years from now, they could come back and shake that same CEO's hand. He may not remember their name, but if he remembers who they were and how they acted, it could turn into something positive. Sure. My son is um, seventh grade. He's 13. 
Um, he is really passionate about the gaming industry. He likes playing video games with his friends. So I've been intentional. Obviously, I work in the industry, so it's a little easier um, yep. when you, as a parent, believe in the industry and you can navigate it with your kids. But so it was easy to get Rebecca to buy him a brand new Xbox. No. Oh, it no. was not easy. Okay, got it. <laughs> He, he paid, he saved for a year and a half to buy an MSI laptop gaming computer okay. and then asked for Christmas for everybody to pull together to get a, to get like a red dragon kit with accessory. Wow. So he's, he's a planner. He's very intentional. So, um, but Roman, we, I take him to a lot of events. Obviously I have, you know, the ability to do that. He went to the launch for call of duty, um, was able to get, I was able to get him into, you know, VIP and, he, he, he's been really blessed to take and, and intentional to take advantage of the blessings that he has access to. His sister never did. She was like, we'd go to, we, she would have access to everything from a really young age. We'd go to a Timberwolves game and she would like get annoyed if we weren't sitting courtside. Like she's just a total brat. He's not. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, why are we sitting way up here? Why are we up here? It's matter. I'm like, get out of here, such a brat. But um, Roman, Roman came up to me at this Call of Duty event and said, mom, mom, can you help me make a LinkedIn real quick? People keep asking what my LinkedIn is. So he's almost 5'9", so you d he doesn't look like oh. a 13 year old. Um, no. He's really tall and he was wearing a, um, I don't know, like a Spitfire. Spitfire is like a skateboarding brand. He's wearing like a Spitfire t-shirt and black skinny jeans, but uh, uh, a blazer. He looked like a gamer, a, a professional gamer. He looked like a little pro gamer. I mean, at one point in time, this kid was talking to these two guys, and I was like, who are these guys? They didn't really look like they belonged. And then um, maybe like 30 minutes later, he came over to me, and I was like, who are those guys? And he was like, oh, that's Eric Wilson from the Vikings. And then there was like an – I can't remember the other players. Like talking to two Vikings players about cybersecurity and building their brand and all the things he hears me talking to people about. He's just <laughs> – um, but Roman is – connected. Um, I had him use his middle name for a last name because he is 13, but he's on LinkedIn. He connects, he posts. Um, he's intentional about if he meets somebody in a business world, he's shaking their hand, he's looking them in the eyes, having a conversation with them, asking them about themselves, which is really key, right? And then he's connecting with them on LinkedIn. And it's hilarious for me I mean to see but it's awesome because he's going to have a really robust network when he's done with school and he's thinking about a career and maybe cybersecurity and um or or in in my industry working within esports um in in some capacity perhaps so uh it's it's awesome I think you you guys if you don't have LinkedIn pages already and you're not thinking about your brand to do that I mean he just made some post he on Instagram the other day where he like just on his story, like swore in his story, like, you know, F 2020, cause we all hate this year so far. So I was like, you need to take that down. You know, you're 13, but you really need to think about how you're perceived. And especially when he's a reflection of me, like if, if you're making a, cho a choice to, to meet people face to face in my industry and shake their hand, then you have to conduct yourself at the same at the same professional level, you know? So um, I think it's important. I know when I worked at the Timberwolves, there were people that would interview with us and we just knew that they were that had the personalities of somebody who would complain about their job on social media. You know, you don't want that. So you have to be really intentional about what you put out into the world, that message, 
is a reflection of who you are and your character and living with a really high level of integrity. So if you wouldn't say something in front of, you know, your parents or your grandma, then you should probably shouldn't be saying it on social media. Um, because somebody, whether it's right or not, is going to judge whether they're going to hire you in four years based on digging through your social. And one thing working with athletes is, um, especially at North Rock, we had a dedicated uh, team. They were off-site um, that would comb through years and years of social media for the um, up-and-coming rookies that were going to be in, whether it was hockey or football or um uh, baseball, whatever sport it was, combing through and doing triage uh, before they were announced, before they were a big deal. That's a, that is a legitimate job that somebody has, is digging through celebrities' social media. And it, you either pay to get it done yourself before you join uh, the public eye, because on the other end, there's people within like TMZ and their jobs just to look for the dirt. So you better find that dirt and clean it up quick, but it's a lot easier just never to post it. Right. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much. If, if there's any, um, like if, if kids have questions or anything like that, is that all right if they find you on LinkedIn and sure. ask you questions? Yeah, I'd love it. I'm having a, a call in a couple hours with a college student who's really interested in esports and wants to learn more about, you know, what are the career opportunities? Obviously, like in all areas right now, we're being disrupted. All of our live events have been canceled. I lost, like, I think that's how we reached out. I like lost 12 speaking engagements over the next three months. So it's been a really weird trying time. So, um, but yes, I would, I would implore you to reach out and connect with me. And I'm so open to having conversations and, and um, even hearing about your business ideas, I do work with so many startups, um, taking a, a peek at, at what your plan is or what your ideas are and um, maybe helping um, amplify some of those as well. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to have the kids stay on a little bit so we can digest all of the stuff we just heard from you, which was amazing. But thank you so much for the time, Rebecca. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, guys, what do you think? What did you learn? What were some things that like surprised you or you thought were cool? Or I liked how she talked so much about how important it is to be a good person. I liked that. Yeah, I really liked the whole be intentional about what you're doing and what you're posting and really just watching how you're branding yourself. Mm -hmm. When she talked about being professional, like on social media versus like in person and how you should kind of carry the same standard all the way through, I felt like that was something I know that we especially talked about often in our class. Um, and it was, we had Mr. Schreiner reminded us often of kind of that, like be professional, no matter kind of what setting you're in. Um, and to be honest, I think that through this class, we've changed some of our own lifestyles a little bit to kind of represent that. And I feel like that's kind of an important thing that we need to continue to do. Um, and like she said, you're kind of making a, a name for yourself in your community and making opportunity for yourself. So Arthur, Dolan, uh, McCartney, what do you guys think? Um, I thought it was interesting. This is McCartney. I just saw my video. On. But um, uh, I thought it was interesting that she didn't have a college degree. 
was kind of a neat story and that you don't have to come from the highest family to do the highest things. Mr. Schreiner, what did you think? I know you're a big esports fan, so. Yeah. Um, you know, I was impressed. Um, the, the things she brought in are applicable to any spot that we look at here, any, any business, whether it's, you know, something that's going to be, you know, big in terms of, 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 of coverage area and, and networks and whatever, or even small, you know, talk about the building, the brand, you know, I, I wrote down those four things that she talked about, you know, looking at all of those things and how much you, again, let people see behind the curtain. Um, but that is so important. And again, whether it's esports or whether it's, you know, whatever your business you're putting together, um, she, she really nailed it. And then talking about the idea of being a servant leader. Um, we actually had that conversation as teachers two weeks ago when we decided or were told we were going to go distance learning. And that is basically what we said our role was going to be as servant leaders that number one, we don't know how we're going to do this. We don't know what we're going to do and we need to admit that. But then we also need to then connect with each other and make each other better and make this process work. Um, and, you know, that's a huge part of her business and it's paid off for her and her business, but it's also been incredibly rewarding. It seems like to her in her personal life as well, you know, processing that and being that servant leader. And I think that's, you know, something that when she said that, that, that green light went on in my head, because that's something we had been talking about for the last two weeks in this whole distance learning process is that, you know, we're going to have to really think of it from that perspective. Right. Yeah. I, I think there's one, one big thing that I, I thought was interesting too, is she said there's value in being the connector that you don't necessarily have to be, have a transactional relationship with people that if you help people and make connections, you hear from someone earlier in the day that is looking for a job and they have experience with this. And then later in the day, you talk to someone that's looking for that exact same thing and just sending an email and saying, Hey, I want to introduce you guys, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'll let you guys take it from here. Like people remember that stuff. And we, we and especially you, kids are definitely raised in an individual style culture and it's not just society that does that but school too and you know you're supposed to work on your own and um, pretty individual that those things are extremely important and so um, putting good out into the world is not just good for karma it's actually good for everyone and you you shouldn't if you're focusing on what you're getting back you're just not going to win in the end. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna call on some people. Uh, Noah, Calvin, what do you guys think? What is your feeling on that? Well, she has her field is very diversified, which she has a lot of networking, and that helps a lot with her stuff. And it's a lot of like major sports connects with a lot of the public, and that's a main picture in a lot of people's lives and such. And I think. I don't know. It's just a really cool way of doing stuff. Cool career. Cool job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Noah, what do you think? Can't hear you, buddy. You type it out, Noah, we'll, and then we'll hear you. All right, let's see. Kyle, what do you think? You've been looking down on us for the entire meeting. So what do you think? I think um, 
it's kind of like the stuff you already said, I guess, what I was thinking. Like, it's really interesting, her demographic, I guess. Like, not old, but she is an older woman who works in esports. And that's not something that you typically see, I guess. And then not having a college degree and being in stuff like that, I think was really interesting to see as well, that there's still opportunities there for success. Right. All right, let's see. Who haven't we heard from yet? Hunter, what did you think? Do you have a screwdriver in hand right now, or are you just sitting in the shop? No, I'm just sitting in the shop. I was Got working. It. But, um, I find it pretty interesting. You know, it's something that don't usually hear of or anything like that. True. Joe? Uh, something I always thought is just uh, being, don't make enemies with people. Like anybody you meet, don't just try to make friends or just try to make friends with them. Don't be, or judge somebody. Just always try to make, don't make enemies and stuff. Yeah, Noah said that he thought it was interesting how she made all so many big connections without having a college degree. And I think that's kind of the point is it doesn't matter what you officially have or don't have, but it's how you treat people. And that's what resonates with people. Um, they won't remember necessarily what your degree or your major is. And to be honest, a lot of adults don't even know what their own degree or major was in if they're not working in that field. Um, but just how you treat people. Uh, and you can't, and the point is you can't fake it and you can't shortcut it. It takes a long time. And if you mess up, you can ruin it all pretty quickly. Like one interaction with someone can ruin that relationship. So she's, I, one practical piece of advice that I know none of you will do, and I know I certainly won't do, but maybe we can start doing it with stuff like this is reaching out and calling 10 new people every week, like talking to a, someone you've never talked to every week, regardless of their background. That's a pretty practical piece of advice and something that to be honest, Levi, a couple of years ago in our class, he did that. He would just like call people and thank them for the tour yesterday and can, or send them an email himself. Thanks for the tour yesterday. It was so fun. I liked this and this. And then pretty soon he's like, he's not coming to class because he's meeting with three or four business people and they all love him. Like I, I would say that the person that's taken most advantage of like the building their brand during CEO as well as their business was him. He actually like, cultivated a, a brand during the class and he's still, he's still trading on it today. People still like know him and remember him. So it's out there. You just got to do it. Gabe, what do you think? Um, I thought, well, being that I'm in, I'm a three sport athlete and stuff. And I was, it was just really cool to hear about how she got connected and, so many different sports. Um, it wasn't like she's just basketball or, or something like she's saying she got a call from a wild player yesterday. And, and for things like esports, as far as like she's connected with esports and like social media. And um, it's just, I thought it's just simply an interesting field to be in. It just sounds like a lot of fun to be, be able to do things like bring her son to the, um, opening of a call of duty thing or whatever. So I just thought that was kind of cool. And, and 
kind of gives me like I hope one day that I can give my kids uh you know opportunities like that where they're like not necessarily saying this to their friends but thinking it in their head well my dad took me to you know what I mean so not only can my dad kick your dad's he took me to the professional gaming tournament this weekend. Yep, I got gotcha. you. Luke, what do you think? And then we're going to go to Greta. Yeah, so I thought it was interesting how she talked a lot about like how you have to brand yourself. She mentioned uh, she knows within like the first few minutes if she's going to be like a good fit with this client. So just having, that, yeah. five minutes is the window, how you shake hands, how like you can't really be too friendly in the first mm -hmm. five minutes. If, if someone like that is going to make their opinion of you in the first five minutes, you got to really like put all of that negative talk away and be confident because while you are just holding back because you're insecure, the person on the other side thinks that you don't like them or thinks that you're rude. That's how they perceive it. It's not how you mean it. And I get it, but that's how they think of you. Greta, what do you, what do you think? Um, I liked how she didn't, like all her family struggles to affect how she would do in the future so she like a lot of people like to give excuses like oh i didn't have a good family growing up so i can't do this career i can't do that career she set her mind on a goal and she really pushed to achieve it yeah that's a great point that's one of my favorite parts of the story as well. I've never met these people, by the way. So if one of these people we have on, have on is a jerk, like, eh, it's bound to happen at some point. So far, we've been lucky. All right. Dalton and Caleb are the – and Dolan. Dalton, Caleb, and Dolan, the last three, I think, unless I forgot yeah. someone. Dalton, you're up. I thought I already went, but... Um, okay, we're going to skip you then. I'm going to mute you. Okay. You lost you your go. chance. Nice try. Caleb, you're up. Um, I really liked when she was talking about when she worked more in the basketball field and how she worked with Ricky Rubio and how he was from Sweden and how he talked about, like, a team effort is what they do there. It's not like they go home and it's like, what did you do? What did you score? It was like, what did you do to help the team? Kind of what I liked. Yeah, that's true. Different culture. He's from Spain, not Sweden, I think. My bad. It's okay. It's Europe. It's they're all yeah, they're all mushed together. Don't <laughs> up. Hey guys. Um so I'm having a bad hair day right now, so um really? Really? Tyler, you're lucky you don't have bad hair days. I feel like I feel like that's a relative term. Mine's just stuck there, so it's the same. True. Um I feel like today we live in a world that like you have to go to college and like when you're 17 and 18 you have to know what you're going to do your whole life and you got to figure that out when you're really young so like I think it's really cool that she kind of went out of the way of that she kind of built herself up without going that extra mile and like she did that independently because we also live in a world where we see women as kind of like less of that like we don't see them as powerful like they can do that by themselves and she kind of did that too so yeah I thought that was kind of like kind of inspirational cool with a kid by the way you guys don't understand what that's like and i hope that you don't ever have to be a single parent but as mr schreiner and i can attest even with really really good and effective wives which we both have it is still hard very much so absolutely
I just gave my kids a whole bunch of Benadryl. They're just sleeping back there. That's the only reason I can get through this. No, they're at day they're at daycare. Okay, or they're at grandma's house. They're at grandma's house. That's that would be child abuse. I don't want to put that out there. All right, guys. Well, um, we have another one coming next Tuesday, um, and I also have a couple of local people that are going to talk about. I'll, I'll get lined up next week for the legal side of the businesses that you're starting. Um, registering your business, uh, how to start with the financials and the projections um, side. And then a few of other ideas of, of speakers that you want help with for getting your business plans ready. Um, the other one we're gonna, I'm going to add is how to do the business meeting. Like, how do you meet these people? How is that supposed to go? Just what is the etiquette for that banker meeting? We're going to have a couple of bankers. They've already agreed to do that. That will be next week. So, if there are other things that you think you need or you want to learn about or you're struggling with in your business, just let me know. But um, I thought it was cool. I had fun today. We went a little long. Sorry about that. But uh, thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of the Disrupt Dead Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, and you would like to be a guest or you know a guest that would be great for our students to hear, please find me, Tyler Gerking, on LinkedIn, T-Y-L-E-R-G-E-H-R-K-I-N-G. Have a good one. Stay well.